We'll have a bit of a children's meditation on this gospel text this morning. It's a wonderful story, one that I love so much. And I think when I hear it of the line of work that I used to do too, uh, and still do sometimes, most of my life I worked with people who had one disability or another. Most of them had an intellectual disability, meaning it took them longer to learn things than it does a lot of other people. But many of them also had hearing problems or vision problems or mobility problems or a seizure disorder or some other kind of problem. So this story today is very close to my heart and I'd like for us just to think about it together for a few minutes before the regular sermon starts. So one of the things that I notice is that there's this large crowd, and I'll talk more about that later, but there's this large crowd around Jesus. And this guy who can't see knows that somehow that it's Jesus in the crowd. He, he hears that. And so he calls out loudly, and the crowd tries to hush him up because it's inconvenient, and they're trying to listen to Jesus teach. The crowd tries to hush him up, but he cries even louder to get Jesus' attention, and Jesus stops and says, bring him here. So this guy, Bar Timaeus, which is the son of Timaeus, would be like we'd say Jacob's son or John's son, Bar Timaeus throws off his cloak, leaps up to his feet, and he comes to Jesus. Now my question always when I hear this story is, this man is blind, Bartimaeus cannot see, Jesus is in a large crowd. How do you suppose, how do you suppose Bartimaeus gets to Jesus? It was a big crowd and he couldn't see. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think somebody must have helped him come to Jesus. Bartimaeus threw out his cloak. What do you think? We really don't know. You're absolutely right. But it's Pastor Jim's speculation that if he found Jesus in that large crowd, somebody had to help him find Jesus. And then it's interesting, Jesus wants to help, which is wonderful. But what does Jesus say? He says to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't just guess that the blind man wants to see. And so in my work with people who have disabilities, one of the things I always have to remember is ask the person what it is they want. Sometimes some experts like psychologists or teachers or physicians or physical therapists, we all get around in a big circle and we talk about what the person needs. And we forget to ask the person what it is they want. And sometimes even with parents, you know, they may not always ask the child what it is the child wants. And sometimes that's okay because sometimes what the child wants may not be what the child needs. And that's the same for adults, isn't it? What we want may not be what it is we need. But Jesus takes time. He doesn't make assumptions. In my field, we call that person-centered planning. We ask the person what it is they want, what it is they need. 
And then right away, Jesus sends that person who was blind on his way. He doesn't put his hands on the person. We don't know anything that happened. Jesus says, go. You want to see? All right, go. Your faith, your trust has given you your sight. And so one of the things we'll talk about today is we need to be like Bartimaeus and come to Jesus, throwing off what's holding us back. And we need to be like the crowd, like a good congregation, to bring people to Jesus. That's actually what we're about, to bring people to Jesus and remind each other of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Let's have a brief word of prayer. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks that you are always with us, that you are living presence, and that you are wisdom. Even when you know what it is we need, you will ask us. And so we trust in you, and we follow you on the way, just like Bartimaeus. In all of this, we give you thanks for everything you have done for us. In the name of the one who sent you to us, Amen. Amen. Actually, before I begin the sermon, I just want to say I'm astonished that there are so many of us here in the sanctuary. Um, growing up in the Midwest, as I have, I'm familiar with pretty bad storms, and this one's impressive. Uh, I, I have always wondered, how is it that we could have so much rain and so much wind, and there's no thunder and lightning? Because that's what accompanies thunderstorms in the Midwest and in other parts of the country. But this, this is impressive. And thank you for those of you who are here, and thank you particularly. This is one of the side benefits, if you will, of this whole dreadful pandemic situation that we're learning to do church in different kinds of ways. And it's a little scary but it's a little wonderful that people can be with us who, um, who really might not be wise to be out. Um, we'll, we'll find out when we drive home whether it was good that we came here or not. But of course, it's good for us to be together. Um, I serve on the board of directors at Wartburg Seminary. And the Dean of Studies, uh, Dr. Craig Nesson, has written a wonderful book called Shalom Church. He's written some other books. But one day when I was teaching a Zoom class, uh, I was actually on campus and Dr. Nesson came in to talk about his book. And he's a big, big guy with a very gentle spirit. And he kind of plopped himself down in his chair and looked around at the students and at me. And he said, yep, you know, I think God may be pretty much through with how we've been doing church. And I've thought about that so often. And boy, the pandemic has really brought that to mind, hasn't it? Doesn't mean we, we need to throw out what we've been doing because it's wonderful. But there may be other ways where we're going to have to be doing church. And it's that learning curve that is so challenging for us. So um, we never know when, like Bartimaeus, we are going to have our eyes opened in a particular way. So thank you for being here, both in person and in Zoom, because that's in person too, just at a greater distance. Thank you. 
May grace and peace be with us, and the grace from God who is our loving creator, and the peace that enables us to have courage, take heart, arise, and hear the call. In Mark's version of this story, which is an extended one, more so than Matthew or Luke, in Mark's version of this story that we just heard, Jesus and the disciples are leaving Jericho. There's only about 15 miles left to Jerusalem, and we know what's going to happen once Jesus gets there. It's literally uphill all the way. Jericho is 758 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem is more than 2,400 feet above sea level. That's why people talked about we go up to Jerusalem. So even though it's a comparatively brief walk, it's going to be a pretty taxing one. And one author that I read as I studied for this said that Jericho would have been full of activity at this time because it was just prior to the week of Passover. And many, many people would have been passing through on their way to Jerusalem. And inhabitants of towns who were not going to go up to the Passover would stand in the streets and cheer on and wish Godspeed to those people who were going up to Jerusalem to have Passover at the temple. They would cheer them on, kind of like we might cheer somebody on who's running the 10K or a marathon. So these standers by would be cheering on the people who were on their way to Jerusalem. And in addition, Jericho had another interesting characteristic, because attached to the temple in Jerusalem were over 20,000 priests and as many Levites, who were kind of the liturgical and music people. And those people were divided into 26 groups that were served in rotation at the temple. But at the time of Passover, everybody was needed, like 40,000 priests and Levites coming up to the temple. So many of these priests and Levites resided in Jerusalem when they were not, excuse me, resided in Jericho when they were not needed in Jerusalem. And uh, so it was kind of a bedroom community, if you will. Maybe the cost of living was lower in Jericho. Does that sound familiar? Than it would have been in Jerusalem. So priests and Levites, too, would have been joining this large crowd of people who were beginning the journey from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And by the way, do you remember another story that Jesus told about a priest and a Levite walking up to Jerusalem? The Good Samaritan, absolutely. And until I studied for this sermon all the years that I have read the story of the Good Samaritan, that piece never fell in to me. So it's kind of like Jesus was saying, you know, people are going down to, um, to the park to watch the, the giants and the, whoever play, you know. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, a priest and a Levite were going up from Jericho to Jerusalem. This, this actually happened. But anyway, so undoubtedly there was a crowd around Jesus as he, as he made his way out of the town with his disciples, and undoubtedly Jesus was teaching on the way because that's what the rabbis did. When they were not seated in the synagogue, remember you sit to teach, you stand to read. When they were not seated in the synagogue, they would be teaching as they walked along. It was peripatetic is the fancy word for that. So it was probably really annoying to the crowd who were attempting to hear what Jesus said when this marginalized beggar, this guy on the side of the road, begins to shout. This son of Timaeus, which is what Bar 
Timaeus means, was listening closely to footsteps of all these people passing by. And upon hearing someone in the crowd say that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, which is a messianic phrase to use. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Greek text is very clear. Eleison me, have mercy on me. And this is certainly such a contrast, and maybe Mark does this on purpose. This is such a contrast to some of the interactions that we've heard just recently from Mark's gospel. Remember the man who comes running up to Jesus, who's real privileged, kneels in front of him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's quite confident that he's kept all the commandments since his bar mitzvah. Or how about the two brothers, James and John, who come to Jesus and say audaciously, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So it's quite a contrast to hear Bartimaeus, this humble man, seated by the side of the road, simply cry out for mercy. People in the crowd apparently rebuke him, and rebuke is a motif that we see running through the Gospel of Mark. So the crowd is attempting to listen to Jesus, and this noisy beggar is disrupting their continuing education. They want to hear what Jesus had to say. But perhaps Bartimaeus senses that this is his one and only chance to be directly in Jesus' presence. So he ignores the crowd's consternation and their put-downs, and he shouts all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And hearing this plea for mercy, our lesson says, Jesus stood still. He stopped. He stopped. And Jesus said, call him here. And the crowd, having changed their stance abruptly based on the words of Jesus, the crowd utters this brief and most memorable address, courage or Take heart, or be of good cheer. Get up. He is calling you. And Bartimaeus doesn't need to be told twice. He threw off his cloak, sprang up, leapt up, and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus, this blind, marginalized, impoverished beggar, is given the possibility of creating a new future for himself when Jesus asks of him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus had asked that earlier of the brothers James and John. But boy, the context is entirely different now, isn't it? And Bartimaeus answers, Master or teacher, let me receive my sight. And the word for master is actually Rabboni or Rabboni a title that carries with it the most profound respect and the highest honor. It is used only one other place in the whole New Testament. Those of us who remember the King James translation, do we remember where that word is used? Rabboni. Mary Magdalene to the risen Christ on Easter. A most honorable most honorable title. And Jesus almost seems to take the gift of sight to Bartimaeus for granted, doesn't he? Jesus doesn't say, all right, now, there, you can see. 
Jesus doesn't make a little paste of mud and put it on the eyes of Bartimaeus, like some other healing miracles we've heard. Rather, Jesus just says, quite matter-of-factly, go. Go. Your faith has made you well. And this is one of those occasions, and God willing, we will talk more about this as time goes on together, when the word for has made you well, or the word for healing, is also the word that sometimes gets translated as salvation. We'll talk more about that, God willing, in Sundays to come, especially when we get into Luke together. And immediately, Bartimaeus receives his sight and then follows Jesus on the way. I like to think that perhaps when Bartimaeus' eyes were opened and he received his sight, the first thing he looked upon was the face of Jesus. This is just such an incredibly beautiful and evocative story, isn't it? This is the last healing miracle that Jesus is going to do before Holy Week, before his death. And in contrast to the man who wanted eternal life but couldn't give up his possessions, in contrast to James and John, who had the audacity to request positions at the left and right hand of Jesus in his glory, Bartimaeus just asks for mercy. Bartimaeus asked for mercy, received his sight, and became a follower of Jesus. Could Bartimaeus have followed Jesus literally all the way to Jerusalem? Probably so. Was he among the crowd acclaiming Jesus at Palm Sunday? Was he among those standing afar off as a witness to the crucifixion? We don't know. But we do know that Bartimaeus was a person of gratitude. One author had this stunning observation that goes like this. Bartimaeus did not selfishly go on his own way once his need was met. He began with need, went on to gratitude, and finished with loyalty. And that is the perfect summary of the stages of discipleship. I think that's worth saying twice. Bartimaeus began with need, went on in gratitude, and finished with loyalty. And that is a perfect summary of the stages of discipleship. How might we make this story of Bartimaeus's our own? Well, we could, in fact, and maybe some of you already have, put ourselves in the role of Bartimaeus in this story. How often have some of us, perhaps, I'm sure, how often have some of us felt marginalized? How often have we felt that the rest of the world was speeding past us, especially during an illness? How often have we felt that the world was oblivious to our condition, unresponsive to our need? Have we felt devalued at times, pushed to the side of the road, devalued and rebuked by passers-by? Yet, in these dire circumstances in which we, almost all of us, will find ourselves from time to time, 
in those dire circumstances, we can nevertheless become aware of the presence of Jesus, just like Bartimaeus did. That living presence that the choir is going to sing about, that living presence that is always with us, which can so easily be overlooked in our <coughs> frantic schedules, our endless to-do lists, and our ceaseless tasks and obligations. We can literally lose our sight and become blind like Bartimaeus to that living presence which is with us always. Then the words of the old hymn come back to us. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And with that, we cry out along with Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. We can put ourselves in the role of Bartimaeus when he hears Jesus' words of invitation, having captured the attention of Jesus, which he so fervently desired. Bartimaeus leaps up, springs up to come to Jesus, and in a gesture of joy and self-abandonment, he throws aside his one and only cloak. The picture that those words always bring to me is from the text of the Epistle of Hebrews. Do you remember this? Laying aside every encumbrance and sin which clings so closely, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus does, throwing off his cloak, laying aside every encumbrance, looking, although he cannot see, Jesus as the author and perfecter of faith. How might we make this story of Bartimaeus our own? We might also put ourselves in the role of the crowd. How often has it been the case for us, even when we might be looking to follow the words of Jesus, that the needs of others around us begin to seem intrusive and perhaps even seem to get in the way of our faith journey? As one author puts it, he writes this, sometimes it is the very disciples of Jesus met for worship in the church who by their manner and lack of concern rebuked the lonely soul that cries out for spiritual healing. What does our whole manner say most clearly? What the crowd said, keep still, or what Jesus said, come. Jesus never healed anybody on the run. Stopping, stopping is a necessary part of any genuine ministry in life. The disciple is not above the master. The disciple, that's you and me, the disciple must learn to stand still and to stand at attention before a brother, a sister, a sibling in Christ. The giving of recognition and respect as to one who really counts is a basic, basic service. And by the way, once again, how did Bartimaeus find Jesus after he tossed aside his cloak and sprang up? Somebody in the crowd must have helped him to come to stand before Jesus. And so, seeing how Jesus stopped and took notice of the marginalized, we might also follow the example of the crowd who changed their stance from rebuke to invitation. 
May we, as the gathered body of Christ, call out to each other all the time in remembrance of what has been done for us. May we call out to each other saying, take heart, get up. He is calling for you. May we, as the body of Christ sent out into the world, bring to stand before Jesus all who are in loneliness and desperation, saying, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And may we, our sight restored, our hopes renewed, in deepest gratitude, may we also follow him on the way. And so may grace and peace be ours, so as to have courage, take heart, be of good cheer, rise, and hear the call. He is calling for you. <laughs>